Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to the Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is the host of the popular YouTube series Broadway by Ghostlight. It's Mark Banani, everybody. Hey, yo. How you Thank doing? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being had. It was lovely to talk to you. And uh, But you said popular. You're going to lie to your listeners right <laughs> off the bat? Oh, wow. now see, that's what everybody says, though. Everybody's <laughs> like, oh, we're not popular. And you understand that popular is a relative term. So, like, That is true. You know what I mean? That is it, true. It is a... <laughs> so one person's popular is another person. I don't know what the end right? of that sentence is, but we're going we're gonna to let it ride. But <laughs> yes, no, you have a, a your excellent channel, which we'll certainly talk about, which has... Excellent videos that go along with many episodes of this podcast for your yeah, right? Star Mites. If you wanted to learn a lot about Star Mites, more than the two episodes we've Woo-hoo! dedicated here, you could go to Mark's Star channel Mites. and, uh, yeah, what's not to love about Star Mites? And, uh, and learn more there. But we're not going to talk about Star Mites tonight. You're here to talk oh. about Dret the Cat. He's here, the cat, Manhattan's king of thieves. He leaves me guards on calling cards and lies on focus leaves. Oh, Dret the Cat. Mark, yes. Is this the, was this the oddest? Like, I want to do Drat the Cat request. I mean, Avita and Lion King and Drat the Cat. Well, yeah. I mean, we've had. You, you've done some really obscure ones. I've though. done some stuff. Yeah, we, we we've done some things on this podcast. Yeah, but yeah, I that is, that is true. I it it's certainly it's been a while since anyone has said something like Drat the Cat, which is a show I absolutely knew of but did not mm-hmm. know and so i was i'm always excited to dig into things like that so i'll ask the question i ask every week how did drat the cat come into your life drat the cat came into my life through the channel like uh like you i'd always been so curious about the show and also what the recording was because it has a recording but not which i guess we'll yeah. talk about later oh, yeah. um and so when I was uh, on my channel, Broadway Ghostlight, I do these Broadway breakdowns where I try to dive into plot. You know, uh, being a musical theater historian, I hate nothing more than just having to listen to a show and assume the context and all that. Um, and I'm very lucky to have a large collection of rare librettos and things like that. So I thought, well, you know, for somebody who wants to know what Drat the Cat's about so they can enjoy the CD, let me give them, a, you know, a a plot breakdown and that's sort of where it started and dread the cat was one of those videos and i fell in love with this show uh mm. massive massive flop and i think it was a little <laughs> ahead of its time i know that's a oft used phrase but uh i really i really love this show i wonder about yeah so this is 1965 yep. Fun, funny girl reigns supreme and yeah uh, which is connected and we will certainly talk about i have that. to say this got a connection there's a connection there um but uh it ran yes for eight performances. Um, eight, eight performances. performances. One fewer. September thirtieth to October sixteenth. One fewer than uh, than anyone can whistle, and uh, yep. 
But yeah. it did. I'm trying to pull up the Tony Awards for that year real fast, and then I just realized it wasn't nominated for best uh, musical. It was nominated for best scenic. Design. No. there it is. So the yeah, big, big best yeah. scenic design. Yes, I definitely want to talk to you about that as well. Cause yeah, that was a fascinating part of your video. So the best musical of that year at the Tonys was this is Man of La Mancha, Mame, Sweet Charity. Those are the big shows, and then on a clear day you can see forever. Um, which is not a huge yeah. hit, but it was definitely a thing. Oh, it's a bird, it's a planet, Superman. There's another Leslie Ann Warren connection. Actually, that's one on my list. I'm trying to decide my next breakdown, and it's oh, a bird, it's a planet, Superman is on that list. That's a good one because that's also pretty bonkers. Yeah, uh, that score is so good. <laughs> that's your fun. It's your Charles Strauss. You gotta love that. There you go. But so, in the middle of all this, is this musical comedy with a capital C mm-hmm. uh, about? Well, here's the thing. I would like you to tell the people what Drat the Cat is about, but you have a whole video which you explain in great detail what <laughs> Drat the Cat is about, which is, and I think is almost required viewing to listen to this episode, guys, because Mark really goes into great detail and puts every single song into context, which was, I watched, I watched the video before I started listening to the album, and it was immensely helpful in being able to, like, oh, I know exactly where this song, I know exactly what's happening here. Um, and that's, so, and that's you know, that was the goal, because so many of these songs, especially in earlier musicals, they're some of the, sometimes they're just songs to be songs. Right. So, like, it's like, how does this fit into the plot? It's like, well, barely, but here like this <laughs> but not not quite at all but like songs like Perf- uh, Perfoy's Lament mm. would have no idea what's happening in that number and it's kind of yeah. crucial like to understand that you know yeah. he's chained to a pipe and he's trying to saw his way out and there's a great joke at the end of it which you wouldn't get from the album he couldn't I mean it's just there's no there's no to do that I'm in love with the cat with the cat I vowed I'd capture in a week. Here I sit, firmly trust in unpolicemanly lust, with my bat slowly rusting as I speak. I'm in love with the cat. Am I me or have I hatched an outlaw twin? I was so unified, now I'm Jekyll and Hyde. Lord, I hope neither side of me will win. And that's another part of these breakdowns that's so hard is conveying the humor sometimes in these shows. Because, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and read all the lines to you. But right. I, I feel like sometimes I don't do these shows justice because they're so funny. Well, that's, but, and that's so do you think you could give folks a kind of paragraph synopsis, back of the, back of the DVD synopsis of Drat the Cat? It's yeah, tough. Yeah. It's, so, a, it's a plotted show, but it is a it's a very plotted show. So it's a uh, 1890s New York City uh, upper crust of society, and there's this uh, jewel thief dressed as a cat going around town, <laughs> um, and the the son of the famed detective Bulldog Purifoy, uh, D- Bulldog has just died, and now his son is taking over the mantle. And he's entrusted with this case to catch the cat. And, of course, he's a bumbling idiot. And the cat is not who he thinks it is. I guess that's Mm -hmm. a non-spoilery. Sure. We're going to end up spoiling it at some point. Yeah. I mean... You have to, because it's the whole second half of the show. The poster kind of spoils (laughs) it. That's a good point. You know. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's it's kind of the the logo of spoils. It's definitely not Leslie Ann Warren. 
Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely not the not. love interest young lady Leslie right. and Warren. Because it is a and, and wink wink. Yeah, because this is like a, what's so funny about this show is it's a show I knew almost exclusively by title, you know, because it's kind of mm. a silly title, and it was a flop, and so you sort of think like, oh well, it's a show called Drat the Cat, and it's a flop. Like, what in the world could it be about? How talented could the people involved be? The answer is pretty talented. I mean, this is a book by Ira Levin. Yep, who wrote. You know, Rosemary's Baby and Death Trap and all kinds Ways of... Ways from Brazil, Ways yeah, from lots Brazil, of Lots of successful movies, books, and a lot of long-running plays. Yeah. Uh, no Time for Sergeants was, I think, his first big hit in yeah, the early huge. 60s. Ran for two or three years. I mean, he's... So this is... There's pedigree here. Um, directed by Joe Layton, which I love. <laughs> I looked up Joe Layton on IBDB. He's got the roller coaster. He really does. This is the... So many ups and so many downs. This is the great time... Of, of like these guys' careers. So like if you don't really follow Broadway, you wouldn't know who Joe Layton is. Director, choreographer. Mm-hmm. But Joe Layton has worked on everything. He's worked on classics. He was in Wonderful Town. And then he was mm-hmm. a choreographer for Once Upon a Mattress, Sound of Music, and then worked his way up. He directed No Strings, which was the big Richard Rogers directed and choreographed. Yeah, his first... His solo, first solo venture. I think his only solo venture. His only, so yeah, I was yeah. going to say his only, although he wrote lyrics for quite a few Right, for stuff. quite a few things. But that was Uncredited, but by, yeah. By himself. And then he goes on to do, it, it goes like, you know, like you say, we're, so we're up here, you know, he's no strings, big hit show. Then Drat the Cat, Sherry, like, man, Ooh. that show, <laughs> musical adaptation Ooh. of Guess Who, uh, what is it, is the, the Man Who the Came to Dinner. Man Who Came to Dinner. Which is most famous, I think, for people my age as the musical that um james lipton wrote the the book yeah the exactly for. yes yes the and that nathan lane album that came out right. <laughs> oh. uh and he worked on george m dear world like there's there's like if you read his list it is a list of like oh and then you go oh yeah like oh, barnum like, and then bring back yeah. birdie like, barnum and then it, bring back birdie yeah which was his idea his to begin idea. with so it's like oh dude i can't even help you there <laughs> that was just your fault so yeah. i mean a storied storied kind of very but old school broadway career i think where it's there's hits and flops and they're in the mix and it's that kind of yeah that's when people would do you know three or four shows i mean i'm exaggerating but you know they would they were always working so you had it was a sheer numbers game and they learned the the hits were only so good because they learned from all of their flops Mm -hmm. and that's a lot of the problems with shows is People can't have the money or time or ability to flop anymore well, yeah, and, and, he, and continue. And he had that kind of career where, you know, it was like one hit got you three flops. And sort of like exactly. he could and he he had a hit every like third or fourth show that would get him three or four more show, flops. And some, you know, he obviously had a lot of good friends. Yeah. And so his, his choreography for this show was, though, was universally praised as one of the only things praised in uh, the reviews was. There's two big ballets in the show, and they were quite something, apparently. Oh, Mark, the Broadway ballet. When will we? (laughs) Oh, the Schmigadoon sequence about the dream ballet gets me every time. It was sort of, I mean, here we are, it's 1965, 1966, where the ballet is kind of on its way in a Broadway show. Yeah, but see. Kind of on its way out, but not gone yet. Just sort of. They're not. No, they're not gone, but they're not as serious. They're more mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. extravagant. That's a very good point. Yeah. Than ballets, I think, at this point, right. they're they're not. You know, Lori makes up her mind. They're yeah. the Sadie Hawkins Day ballet, and you know, yeah. well, the cookie chase and high energy. Yeah, you know, 
yeah. dance sequences. Yeah. Yes, extended. Which is, do you have a sense of how long this show was? It had to have been at least, I mean, two and a half, probably longer, because two big ballets. I should check what the running time is on the the LP. I want to do a whole video on Blue Pair Records. Who put out the live recording? Who, who put out the live and, and a bunch of other lives. It's such a fascinating story. Because it is almost... So this show opens, we should say, opens in 65 um, at the then Martin Beck, the now Al Hirschfeld Theater. And yep. starring Leslie Ann Warren and Elliot Gould, who are not who were- quite stars yet, but are on their way to being... Yeah, I mean, they're definitely, she had just done the Cinderella, the second Cinderella television, and he was Mr. Barbara Streisand. Right, and on his way to, I mean, he was only a couple of years away from making MASH and and really becoming a breakout movie star. Yeah, and he had started in, um, uh, I can get it for you, Wholesale, which is where he met his wife uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, so he was... Yeah, they weren't nobodies, but they were certainly exciting up-and-comers. She was 19. She was, yeah, I know, which is shockingly, like, but at the, again, at the time, like not at all uncommon, I think for for yeah, new to be certainly, certainly not at the time. But the reviews, if you read the reviews, some of the some of these old men reviewers were quite pervy when they were talking about her. I was shocked. <laughs> I mean, I guess not sh- totally shocked, but right? It's like ew, ew. Well, and, anyway. and it is a part where part. I mean, a large portion of the plot hinges on the fact that she wears this very skimpy. That is true. I mean, it's, you know, the, the tired businessman era. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're oh, we're peak Mad Men here at the, when this show is, is coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so also in the cast, I want to point out is uh, Charles Durning and Beth Howland um, just rounding it out. But so there is no official studio cast recording of this show. Yeah, there was one planned. But then when the show bombed, it, it got canceled. And a couple of the songs, I like the, I was very interested, you pointed out in your video that Barbara Streisand recorded like a double, a single with a song. Yeah, she did two, two of the songs. In fact, now uh, She Touched Me uh, is, was gender flopped to He Touched Me. And that's now the standard way that people perform that song. Mm -hmm. It's rarely done in its original state because of Barbara. Also, um, she tried. She right. She's really trying to help. <laughs> she also threw a bunch of her money, own money, into did the show. Really? Yeah, you mentioned that in the video. I did did I, I? I couldn't remember if you, I mentioned it, that in the video, but yeah, yeah, she definitely put a bunch of money in. Oh man. Oh well. Oh well. Well, she had. I mean, her career was also very much on the rise. So you yeah, know, the, they had to, they had to rearrange uh, the opening night for Drat the Cat to accommodate her night off in Funny Girl, so she could attend. <laughs> man. Yeah. That is, I mean, and it, but so here's the thing, like, you know what, I was struck by watching your, your video, the plot synopsis, and then listening to it, how this show is, you know what it reminded me of, uh, and I don't exactly know why, is The Apple Tree, um, mm. as a listening experience. Now, The Apple Tree is a show I have great affection for, but I recognize is very flawed. Mm-hmm. They're not connected in terms of structure in any way because the apple tree is three one act plays basically over right. over an evening, but 
it also it has a kind of like apple tree fiorello kind of vibe to it in the score where it's yeah. sort of like generic late 50s broadway like that's how i would totally. describe the score this score could be in any it's like a bunch of trunk songs. This could be in any show, anywhere. Just, <laughs> I you know suppose. I, mean? I, I it, do it, love it, these that, songs. It's unkind, but it isn't. Some like, of them are quite clever. Yes, they are. And I was but really, it does have it does have that sort of big bandish, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, sound. Not big band, but you know, uh, there's always marches and yeah. There's a literal march. There's, there is a <laughs> literal literal march, literal march in this march zombie. In yeah, the second act. Uh, which Very is reprised, so you need to. <laughs> they obviously wanted you to to walk out of there humming that. They uh, did. They worked hard. But so there is no. Like I was saying there is no official cast album for it. Then they released this live recording of it in the. Is it in the seventies? Is that when that came out? It, it's probably in the eighties. No one's mm. really sure because this Blue Pair Records is such a <laughs> non-real but real company. So they started in nineteen seventy-five with a release of these. Audio bloopers from the third season of Star Trek that had been huh. lost to time, and Trekkies were going nuts for these these bloopers, and that's where Blue Pair Records come in. It's Blooper oh, Blue Pair Records, very clever. And then sometime in the eighties, but no one's really for sure because I didn't have dates on anything. Uh, they released <laughs> a whole bunch of Broadway and off Broadway shows that are either recorded through the sound systems or done by cast members so like they're legitimate bootlegs basically and then they just release them uh, with liner notes and but still super shady it's it's so interesting i don't know how they were able to pull it off it it is it does kind of have that vibe to it though like having listened to to portions of it it really does it sounds like a bootleg i mean it's a sound yeah the audio i mean maybe in the in the 70s and 80s this it's the quality was fine but now i feel like it's it's barely listenable because you have to, I mean, this is the mid-60s, so this is recorded probably off the soundboard, uh, which would have been mm-hmm. stage mics. And right. like, nobody's Yeah, nobody's and you can tell them. that they're not all individually mic'd, because yeah, you can't, words drop out well, And they turn, second. yeah, like somebody turns up stage and yep. they suddenly don't have a microphone anymore. And it's also yep. recorded probably on reel-to-reel, you know, quarter inch, so that's like, that's unwieldy within itself. And then if that's not stored properly, that doesn't sound great. So like, how, however, you know, the hands this went through... And it would have been these recordings would have been made as references for like the producer of the cast album for things like that. Yeah, so be like the, so they could take these home and listen to them and understand like, oh, we need to cut this down, speed this up, this tempo needs to increase to how to fit this thing on a record. But what's really striking about listening to the bootleg, which is what basically it is, and is and you you the clips you play on the video about it as well, it's striking is how much everyone is laughing. Yeah, the, the audience. audience is having a ball. They're absolutely loving it. And you the 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 normal kind of sage wisdom of a of a Broadway show would be that bad score in a good book runs longer than a show with a good score in a bad book. And absolutely. I assumed when I got all this together that this was a show where it had a pretty good score but the book was nonsense. But it's Ira Levin who's a very good writer and the jokes seem to be landing in the live recording. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I know what the problem is exactly. You know, it. I think it was the the season. It was all these unknowns. It was. Mm-hmm. It also it didn't do an out of town tryout. It was supposed to, and it didn't. Yeah. Um, which in the pre uh, you know message board days that was like a sign of 
imminent death. Yes. So they they skipped their Adishan tryout and just came in to do previews, which was like a weird thing to do in the 60s. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think it already just had an uphill battle and it just got, I mean, it's a big show, so it was probably fairly expensive and... Well, and that set and just, wouldn't have toured. So when, when Elliot Kalin was on talking about Music Man, we talked about how like shows of this era, the set of a professional Broadway show in the like 50s and 60s is what you would consider to be a high school set in the in yeah, the 80s. Like it bit. was, you know, it was during the 90s. It was just nothing really. You know, it was painted flats and stuff. Backdrops and, yeah. And you described it in the video, and I read the review I read of the of the show, described the set being this miraculous thing where things would spin and turn and move yeah, in. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just like a show we see today where set pieces move on their own and yeah. they get themselves in a spot, which uh, I think that was just, this is one of the first examples of that. And yeah, all the reviewers just talked about how the set was like this magic, you know, box of goodies which would explain possibly why it didn't go out of town because you couldn't you know that set wouldn't go so yeah you know i but again if you don't take a comp like taking you gotta take a comedy out of town (laughs) really really, like you gotta do that right because there's i mean there is so much like your video is an hour long and mm. not a second of it is wasted. <laughs> there is so I talk fast. You do. That was the thing. Was when I saw the video, I thought, okay, well, all right, well, you know, we'll watch this an hour long video. I'll watch this. And it was really impressed by how like how it, it moves and how you really like barely stop for breath because there is just <laughs> so much plot in this damn show. Uh, so much, and that's yeah. Some shows they just they set up. There's so much set up for like nothing burger scenes and mm-hmm. jokes. And so it's like, but I have to, for song context, explain it, yeah, it all. Oh yeah. gosh. And I also love what you really get a sense of watching your video is that funny thing that happens in musicals that don't quite work, which is there are long stretches without a song and then like three songs, like bang, yeah. bang, 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 bang. And then yes. no, and then again, a long stretch without a song. And there's no sense of kind of balance to it. It's, it's like, well, we have these songs and we need, you know, we didn't realize we probably should have a song here. We should probably move this one around. It, it, it goes through this very like intense, long stretches of time with no songs and then too many songs. In a yeah. Row. Yeah. There's all these like really elaborate sequences that I have to like cover that are, they, they take five seconds on stage, but it takes me like 20 minutes right. to explain. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I do my visuals, which is really what takes so long. My well, stinking videos. Well, I'm sure that's what takes so long to edit, but it is very welcome as a viewer. I will tell you, because as someone who was intense, like I was definitely invested in this. I was still like, man, there's a lot of plot in this show. <laughs> A lot of plot. My wife, uh, God love her. She loves she likes musicals, but obviously not on, on my crazy level. So I try to try to do the videos where I'm, I explain the plot to her. If she can understand the plot, then mm-hmm. then I'm I'm good. And you're feeling good about it. How did you start doing Broadway by Ghostlight? I you know I for a long long time I wanted to be a quote unquote musical theater historian, and people always ask me, oh, what does that mean? What do you do? And I was like, I I don't know. Uh, I didn't want to write a book, which was, seemed mm-hmm. to be the only uh, avenue for a while. And then um, I, I tried, you know, a pilot of a podcast at one point, but it just it didn't feel right. And then I got really, really, really into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. one of my other favorite loves. And I would watch all these breakdown videos and deep dives and Easter egg hunts on YouTube. And I was like, God, I wish there was a 
a channel like this feel for Broadway. And I was like, well, maybe uh, I can do that. So that's mm-hmm. where it, it sort of came. And of course, the pandemic happened and I had the time. And sure. And mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm usually a guy who uh, has a million projects and just drops them like flies. And but this mm-hmm. one has stuck around. And so, you know, because you've been doing it for what is it two years now? It's been, yeah, a little over two years. Yeah, I've taken a couple breaks in between. It's, sure. it's, but yeah, it's, it's still going strong. I've got over 50, 60 videos now on the channel, which is crazy. Yeah. And you do, what I, what I like about your selection is it isn't just, there's a, there's a variety of topics. So you have like, you know, you do Bring Back Birdie. You do. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I had a ball and the, and Minnie's boys and things like you do these boys. these flops oh, that great one. you know knows about that, that but that you would have interest in in Wildcat you know shows like that, but then you also do um, Steel Pier, much more recent, yeah, kind of, kind of uh, problematic show, and then you know you do bigger things like you you have a whole video on David Merrick and. You know, you do your Schmigadoon uh, breakdowns with all that, like the references and that. So there is a lot of a lot of choice in in every every time the video comes out. I you don't know what exactly it's going to be, which I think is great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I wanted it to be sort of varied and and different levels and different lengths of videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'm trying the my next breakdown that I'm working on now is Bat Boy, uh, which is definitely the oh. most current show. I mean, it's still over 20 years old, but right. the most current show I've. I've done and my first off Broadway breakdown. So mm. we'll see. That's another one where there's long sequences that yep. take short time on stage, but a long time to long explain, time to explain so exactly what's happening. Yes. It's already just on page. My longest video to date. So I don't know how I'm <laughs> going to do it, but uh, yeah. And I've, I've, I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've all, I keep choosing videos to do or shows to break down, but then I get the script and the script doesn't match the cast recording. And I realize it's a, a preview, a script from previews, and it's not oh, the, wow. the final script, but the final script is like the after Broadway revised version. So, like, I have to give up on on some shows. Well, yeah, sadly, I'd imagine tracking down the original Broadway script. Yeah, I mean, for shows is very are, difficult. Are fine, but I want to. Yeah, I want to try to be as close to what opening night audiences sure. heard. But yeah, I I was just trying to do Green Willow, and that's one that the script I had had a bunch of cut songs in it and the order on the cast album is different than in the libretto. Mm. So I can't track that. The uh, fade out, fade in is another one that mm. uh, that's why Encore supposedly uh, has never done it. They've wanted to, but they can't get a solidified cohesive script together, which is. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, it, 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 these things weren't, especially for shows that didn't run, these things weren't kept, but it's even the ones that, did run you know people did keep revising them after they went out because you know the resources were different for the road company so that would be a slightly yep. different version and then who knows if it got published what version they decided exactly. was the one that everybody should get so finding the the original broadway script for a show i, I don't you may not realize this people who are listening that, that that is a very tricky thing to do even for shows that are considered to be you know, big hits. Like, I got mean, the, the the example that springs to mind right now is Ragtime, where mm. there's this whole sequence at the top of Act Two in the original Broadway production of Ragtime with this Houdini magic trick that's a dream that the little boy's having, and it was so dangerous when they did it. They had it like you know, professional magician, like everything was great. 
but when they left Broadway, it just it got excised from the show entirely because it wasn't something you could do anywhere else. Like it was just here and only. So it isn't in the revivals. It isn't in any regional production you've ever seen. It's on the cast album. You can hear it. But like right. the sort of script description of like what's occurring. I mean, good luck. You'd have to find somebody in the original company who had the original. Script yeah, exactly. And then you know, work from that. And so even shows that are, it's not just flops and it's not just old shows. Like the original Broadway script of things doesn't survive past yeah. the, the production itself. So it's a treasure to find them if you can. Yeah. Bat Boy has inconsistencies and stuff like that. Cause that's been revised a lot. Yeah. Since. The London production is wildly different than the, yeah, wildly, yeah. but noticeably different than the, than the, than the yeah. American one. And that's what leads us. I mean, the, the version of Jack the cat we're talking about ostensibly is this 1997, studio recording studio, yeah. with Susan Egan, she of uh, Beauty and the Beast, Tony Award winner Judy Kay, Brian Batt, uh, who <laughs> I can't quite pick out on this recording, but I swear he's there. <laughs> Elaine funny. Stritch, who you can absolutely pick out <laughs> yeah. on this recording. No, That's an easy one. No trouble at all. And also, I find, I wonder if you agree with this, uh, Lee Wilkoff, I can hear him a mile yes, and a half away. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Lee, Lee Wilkoff. Wilcoff is definitely, if you listen to Little Shop original cast recording yep. app, you can pick Lee Wilcott. Was he in Drowsy Chaperone? It is Eddie Corbich. Oh, he yes. Drowsy Chaperone that I am confusing him with. Um, gotcha. Very similar tone in, in their yes. sort of approach. I worked merch for that show back in the day. Oh, did you? I did. That was one of my favorite. I worked there every Sunday and I got to, I sat. And it's a 90 minute show, so I there was no intermission. So I just sat and watched the show every Sunday. Because I work Sundays, though, Anytime I got to see a lot of the cast's final show when mm-hmm. they were they started leaving, and um, was it Bob Martin? Somebody used to bet them fifty dollars or something to do something crazy during their final performance that wasn't in the script. Oh man! And so those were really fun. I remember Sutton Foster at the end of the first act, which isn't really a act break. She's right. at the top of the stairs and she's upset, and she like collapsed and then flopped down the stairs like <sighs> this during the yeah. I mean hysterical. <laughs> You wouldn't know it if you didn't see the show a thousand times like that me. That wasn't but, part of the thing, yeah. Yeah, and Bob Martin would add lines in all the time because, I mean, he well, wrote, wrote the, the book, book and yeah, started right. it. So he would just <laughs> add jokes in all the time. That was that was a great... Danny Burstein, yeah. Oh, great, sure. Great so group. Much to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's oh, the classic show, Drowsy Chaperone. That's so good. And very connected to this, side of, this, this sort of older world. Uh, yeah. Emulating here in Drat the Cat. Yeah. Um, so I guess ostensibly even older in Drowsy Chaperone. That's supposed to be like yes, but yeah, it's supposed to be nineteen twenties. Um, really, it's supposed to, it's earlier than nineteen twenty. Yeah, so, oh, that's yeah, true. We won't, get, we won't get into that. We won't get into that. That's a different thing. But so we have this <laughs> this Veris, uh, nineteen ninety seven recording of uh, of Drat the Cat produced by the the effervescent Bruce Kimmel, and yep. uh, who produced a lot of cast albums. You you've heard, and it is a. I like normally I'm not a fan of a lot of book on a cast recording, mm-hmm. but I like I this is one of the few ones, and I think it was probably because I had watched your video beforehand, where I was found myself often going I could use a little more book here I could use a little more setup a little more a little more yeah a little more little more scene setting because there there are songs that have kind of. They do the they do the cat reveal. They do you know stuff like that mm-hmm. that you need. Um, they do all the ones that are kind of like essential. But there was a few like dancing with Alice could have used a little setup 
for yeah. me, you know, like exactly, which I had from watching your wonderful video, but it, it was just to give it to, to everybody a little bit more of like, oh, here's what's, here's what's happening in this, in this sequence. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the songs are surprisingly plot driven in a lot of places yeah. for, a, for an early show that where it seemed to be, you know, getting on the radio was the right the this goal, is, having a, a standard. I mean, this is a little later for that. Well, but, it's transitioning you know, out of that. I mean, this is still from that yeah. school. I think that's what we, what, we, what we mean by like the Apple Tree Fiorello school, George Abbott school of musical that like yeah. we are, you know, this is a post gypsy world. We are careening towards company, but we're definitely not there yet you know like it yeah we're still in this sort of this this netherworld section of the mid 60s of yeah like, well the 65 is sort of the, the end of the golden age as it yeah, were well with man of la mancha being a perfect example of a kind of like very you know that's that song while every song in that show is plot driven or at least plot excused there mm. are still hits in that you know uh, dream the impossible yeah. dream is a huge hit song so like that's we're still getting popular music out of our Broadway shows at this point. I will say, so I, I, I'm listening to the recording and I'm with, I'm, I am, as, as you say, I'm, I'm surprised at kind of how motivated sequences, you know, songs like Holmes and Watson and She Touched Me, it, it, even though it is a, a standalone ballad, it is motivated in the, in the story. Um, but then you get into songs that are sort of like wildly comedic. <laughs> That I felt were a little less successful. The the biggest example being a pox upon the traitor's brow. Yeah, that's a that's a skip track if there ever was one on a cast recording. Misfortune take the lowly worm, may shingles leave him weak. May every mischief making germ play house in his physique. Hangnails on his cuticles, a constant loss of weight. A shelf of pharmaceuticals entirely out of date. Measles, mumps, the pick, the grip, a classic case of mage. A thing upon his lower lip, completely new and strange. This galaxy of afflictions, beyond one man's endurance. Yeah! And as the final blow, no medical insurance. Yeah! Well, maybe that's why it reminded me of those, of those sort of earlier shows, is that it's that... It felt very practical. It felt like it was like it's going to be a comedy. It's going to be a romance, and so it's mm-hmm. got to have romantic songs and it's got to be have funny scenes. And I think because if they'd taken it out of town, they might have figured out a better way to kind of put those two things together. <laughs> but because it that definitely has be. both of those things, it has romantic songs, it has funny scenes. Do they flow? I don't quite know. I would love to see it was sort of like yeah I would, I would love to see a production yeah yeah because i mean i feel like that's one of the major problems with it is that the romance is kind of one-sided and misguided until the very end of the show they're like yes. okay let's be in love well and it doesn't this it ha- does that thing sometimes that shows like this that that just don't work do when they drive me that drive me nuts where there are clear things that are set up and then never paid off. So Bob, our hero, is set up as being very clumsy at the beginning of the show. Falls down constantly. I mean, it's just a whole yeah. thing. Crashes off stage. Crashes yeah. off stage. Like long crashes off stage. I think you described from one of the scenes. Like you say, he escapes and covers himself in water. Like every, even when he does something right, it goes wrong. And mm-hmm. so theoretically, 
that should be how he catches the cat or comes in good. He should trip and fall and something good should happen to him. You know what I mean? It should be right. his superpower. Right. But that isn't what happens. Him being a klutz kind of just futters away into, yeah. the, into the ballet. I think maybe it came back a bit in the staging of, spoiler alert, when Bob is putting all the diamonds back. Right. He thinks he's being really slick about it, but he's really, really not. creating a lot of attention around himself. So maybe there was a bit in that, but again, that's just speculation because right. that would be all in the stage. And even if that is true, it's not. that's not a pay... Like, that's true. That's not a huge That's payoff. not a huge payoff to it. That doesn't... But the other thing is that the, the one that I noticed like the second or third time I listened to the album was... Um, Alice during, I think it's during Wild and Reckless, which by the way, the lyrics in Wild and Reckless are just like chef's kiss, weird and wonderful. <laughs> These lyrics, I love the lyrics for the show. It is such a weird thing when you have a playwright like Ira Levin, who I don't know if he ever wrote lyrics again, but wrote I these lyrics. So. And they don't always work, but sometimes they don't work in the most beautiful way, which is what I think that like Wild and Reckless has with these awkward phrasings. And, and But I love it. I think Wild and Reckless is so much fun. But in Wild and Reckless, she complains about how her mother wants her to get married. And all the men in her circle are crooks. And I like her distinction right. of not honest. They're the real like crooks. Right. They're the, yeah. And provides another good joke where a guy's cheating on his income tax. And we haven't even invented that yet. Very, very good joke. But he then what should turn her on to Bob is the fact that he is honest and pure. And it kind of does in the trial at the end. It, it kind of, she, when she realizes he can't be bought, it's kind of her moment of being in love with him, but not so much. Like that Yeah, it definitely earlier. could be fleshed out yeah, a lot the, more. The thing that should make him her turn to him is the fact that, oh, he's an honest man. He's a genuinely honest man, and he cares about me, and he's, you know, torn up about it. And I will say that, like, I think the moment this show probably lost the audience <laughs> is oh, no. the scene, because it's not in the script, it's not in the cast album, so unless you watch Mark's video, you won't really know it's there, is that they go and they get, they go run off to live in the woods. Oh my god, yes, this Ooh. crazy, crazy it's scene, <laughs> which just feels like a random SNL it's sketch so thrown in the last minute. Yes, it was so bizarre. I blocked it out of my memory for a second there. It is just like they. <laughs> he just so Bob is our hero, catches Alice. He's going to turn her in, and then she just says, like, I don't like you. That's on the recording. You said that you were in love with me. Oh, I am. No, I'm going to testify that there's good in you as well as evil. Uh, couldn't we just run away? Just the two of us? Go far away someplace? I don't mean that I like you or anything, or that I'd go with you if I didn't have to. I just don't want to go to prison, that's all. That's reasonable, isn't it? So I'll go away with you if you want, and do whatever you tell me. The the two of us? I, I couldn't. It, it, it would be... Well, it's, it's against the law. We could live in the woods where nobody would ever find us. I have to give those diamonds back to their rightful owners. That's what I'm getting $22 a week for. We could be like Henry Thoreau at Walden Pond. It would be a wonderful life. Simple, uncomplicated. And they go off and they literally, with nothing, go to the yeah. woods. And, and they build this cabin. He's building this cabin for them. But the whole joke is that it's only like four feet tall. Right. <laughs> so they're just hunched over and eating on stumps. And it's... 
The bed's made of leaves. It's wildly so bizarre. Unpleasant. It is so. It is so bizarre when like you. I can even imagine like a scenario where well, probably what should happen is he should get arrested and she should feel guilty. And then we can have some songs and scenes about the like the trial can go on for maybe a couple scenes like something yeah like that. break him out or something something I don't know but like the whole sequence let's of they go, go to live, live in, in a four woods, foot cabin in the woods and then he goes to put all of her jewelry back and then he gets caught it really does feel like the thing that it feels like stretching it feels like the yeah. show, you know what I mean like this this really could be a lot faster guys like we really could get where we need to go and it just doesn't it's one of those shows where at the end of Act One, you're like, "Huh? I kind of thought we'd be here at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. What more do we have going for us yeah. tonight?" And then it's like, it goes off. It's like, you know, those movies like Thirty Modern Millie, where the first hour is like, "Yes," and then it's like, "Wait a minute, what are we doing in this movie now?" Right. Yes. We're flying and uh, yeah. If you only know, of... yes. If you only know the musical Thirty Modern Millie, I encourage you to watch the movie and see how much of an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tapioca. Uh, so weird. It's absolutely true, though. It is that, like, I usually am impressed in shows where we get to the end of Act One and I'm kind of like, I don't know where else we have to go. Like, this is really. And then there's something, like, usually something happens and you go, oh, wow, like, this could be a whole new expansion for Act Two. I get that. And then there's things like this where, like, you say, you get to the end of Act One and you're kind of like, Okay, that's kind of huh. huh. So so it's all it's like are we watching the bad sequel that never got made? Is that what's going on? And it's it's really usually a problem with setup in act 1 of like the we think the whole thing is going to be like who is the cat and like what is the cat doing? And like there's not there, there's such an interesting like they think the cat's a man and there's such an interesting opportunity for like a two-stage reveal where like at the end of act 1 we find out the cat's a woman. It's like <gasps> And then we find out the cat. Is, and by we, I don't mean like the audience can know, but like Bob can yeah. find out these things in stages. Like there's a there's a way to reveal it. And I really believe that these are the kinds of things that get ironed out out of town. <laughs> these are the yeah. kinds of things in there's Boston where they go, okay, that's not that we can do that better. That's not quite working. Yeah, and they talk to the audience too. They break the fourth I wall know, in the show just, and they talk to the audience and ask so them weird. questions and. Yeah, really weird. So bizarre. And it doesn't, the other, it's a, another reason I'd love to see the show is because, like you say, it's set in 1890. Yeah. But they don't really hold true to that time period all the time in the lyrical references, especially in A Pox Upon the Traitor's Brow. I remember noticing there's a few little moments where I'm like, that that's not that's a mo- very modern reference. Oh, is that like I haven't expired even medicine? They that. reference that's like funny. bad things for him being like expired medicine and no health mm. insurance. And I'm like, this is all very 1960s in yeah, things yeah. you're throwing at him here. And what I what what the reason I I say I want to see it is like I wonder if that was part of the show that it was like set in 1890, yeah, kinda, yeah. You know what I mean? Like sort that's of. That's interesting because they I mean they had the set the set design was sort of jokey as well like. Mm-hmm. The, the father of, of Alice uh, is obsessed with money and this whole house is the money oh, green and like portraits great. of the presidents from the dollars are like, that's what's hanging in their house and yeah. stuff like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if they sort of were playing with. Yeah. And that's another thing where I thought it, it's a little bit ahead of its time. It's, it wasn't taking itself too seriously at, at times, but then at other times it took itself 
sure. Which is, I think, when another thing that gets ironed out out of town is that idea of like, what is the tone of this show exactly? Like, are we going to be full scale surrealistic weird, or are yeah. we going to be more grounded and realistic? Because it's also a very similar problem they have with anyone can whistle, which also didn't go mm. out of town, and where I it feels like. And this show is a little more trying to have it both ways, I think, than than anyone can whistle was. But it, you know, it, it just feels it ends up plot wise, it ends up feeling very half baked, and it's like yeah. we didn't quite we didn't quite piece this together exactly as well as we. Yeah, it feels like they want to explode with this funny and irreverent thing that's sort of been boxed in by broadway standards yes. and what's expected of musicals in the 1960s mm-hmm. and hit songs and all that other like you need to, yeah. those things you you need to have and 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 uh, or you, they think they need to have the love and, story yeah and the, the the secondary characters one song like the the lane stretch song and the yes oh you know where gosh. it's just kind of like uh yeah <laughs> that song gets so dark so fast <laughs> and does. i don't know how much of that was me just because elaine stretch kind of makes everything a tiny bit dark but uh, <laughs> that is true. Everything just gets a tiny bit darker oh. when Elaine starts like that. Yes, it's your fault. It's your fault. You made her what she is today—a thief who has to run away and hide behind locked doors. It's your fault. It's your fault. You struck her with that hairy paw, and there she is outside the law. The faults entirely yours. Grief has unhinged your reason. Oh, I remember. I remember everything. So is, it, is this the kind of show that got you into the, the idea of musical theater history? Or how did that become something you were were fascinated by? Yeah, that's just it was just one of those shows where it's like, how am I going to how am I supposed to learn about this show? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess with Wikipedia nowadays, it's sometimes there's a, de- pl- a decent plot description. Sometimes there's not. But even in reading what I think is a really detailed plot description and then reading the libretto and comparing it to the the score, it's like, oh, this is sort of important, this whole s- story here. Mm. And also, you know, uh, understanding the show itself, but also why it failed, why it succeeded. Um, yeah, I just, I, there's been very few, I've seen, I've been very lucky to live in New York and have traveled here before I lived here. And I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Broadway shows. Um, and almost all of them, I found something worthy in. Mm. And so these shows that have been somewhat lost to time as a historian, I want to try to preserve them as much as I can, where at least I can preserve the story. Cause you know, in, in my videos, I, I do have some photos from original productions, mm-hmm. but those are so hard to find. Yeah. Um, so few and far between for a lot of these older shows. So yeah, I didn't want to talk about Hamilton. I didn't want to talk about, you know, these modern shows that have been discussed ad nauseum and are mm-hmm. well documented and all that. I wanted to try to do my best for these shows that that are, uh, you know, the name, you've seen the artwork everywhere, but you have no idea what they're about. Mm-hmm. Is is history your sort of way into to theater? Or is that your primary? I went to school to, to be a performer. I went mm-hmm. to AMDA. Um, the American Musical and Dramatic Academy here in New York, which is why I moved here. Um, but I couldn't cut it as a performer. I didn't have the stomach for the auditioning and the rejection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they always say, if you are happy doing something else, do that. And I really fell in love with the history of it. Um, 
I just love shows. I love musicals. I just want to, you know, do my Scrooge McDuck dive into theater and, <laughs> and play in my money bit of musicals. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I just think it's fun. So you're a self-taught historian in that sense. Self-taught. Yeah. Right. No, I, people like uh, I have a good friend, uh, Maggie, who is now like the first person to actually get, is it a master's or just a bachelor's in musical theater history? Like mm. she created it basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that sort of exists now, but yeah, back and I just saw shows and read books and I've got 300, 400 books in my library, all about theater and mm. yeah. And I came to theater, loving theater later in life than most people. I mean, I didn't see my first Tony's till I was in high school. And, oh, uh, how did that happen? I, I did community theater when I was, like in fourth grade, mm-hmm. it was, it's a weird story. I was, my family was not theater people. Mm-hmm. They were all lawyers and race car drivers, but I did a school play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really, it's, they're all lawyers and race car drivers. Okay. True story. And then I did a school play and I was like, Oh, I like this. And then for Christmas, my grandfather gave me a ticket to the local performing arts center to see a tour, which was Marie Osmond and the sound of music. Wow. I don't remember anything about the show, but getting the ticket, it was like, I remember opening the red velvet box and there was the ticket and it was like this click in my brain that I can only describe as like what a priest describes when they say they've been, they've got a calling. Mm. I just knew that, oh, theater, this is my life. And ever since then, I've just been theater obsessed. I went to, you know, community theater where we were doing all the Rodgers and Hammersteins and mm-hmm. Lil Abner and a lot of the older shows. And then, you know, I would be bad and listen to Rent sometimes, Ooh. you know. Ooh, dangerous, <laughs> dangerous musicals. But yeah, it really wasn't until high school and, and mid to late high school that I really got into shows. I had a great mentor who sort of taught me the history. And and then uh, there's this great documentary called um, called Broadway the Golden Age. I remember I was on tour. I, I used to work merchandise for Broadway shows, and I did touring broad, Broadway merchandise for a while. And I was in oh. some someplace in Florida. Anyway, I watched this documentary and at the end of it, he's talking about the future and who's going to document that. And he said, that's someone else's story to tell. Mm. And I felt like, oh my God, he's talking to me. That's my job. I'm supposed to tell those stories now. And that's when I decided to be a historian and figure out what that meant. And uh, here we are with Bravo Big Ghost. That's pretty great. Well, you f- I mean, certainly found a... I would say the most entertaining way to do it. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a visual learner person, so and it's. It, it, but I really appreciate the the because em, Emily Clark, who, who's been on the show, does a lot of very similar things in her mm-hmm. in her videos. And what you guys have in common for the, that sort of music theater history is the you have a a funny approach that you take very seriously, meaning. I never in in all your videos and Emily's as well, but I never feel like you're making fun of any of this stuff and you're taking it the right amount of seriously though. Like it is like, yes, because I mean, and drat the cat's a great example where like the tone throughout for you, I would say is like, I mean, and then this happens. <laughs> I don't know guys. Yeah. Like that's what happens. I, what do you want me to say? And but at the same time, there's a wonderful sense of joy behind that. Can like, can you believe like that happened? Like that's that's nuts. Yeah, I mean, I love it. Bonkers. <laughs> the more bonkers, the better. And it, but that's you what, know, you know, I think that when 
what, what I've said it before on, the, on this podcast, but it's I, I, the thing I one of the things I love so much about musicals is just kind of how inherently nuts they are. And yeah, the very conceit of it is crazy. Yeah. And anytime a music, the, the musicals that I don't enjoy are always the ones that end up being very self-serious and mm. never really, you know, appropriately winking at the fact that like, this is a little bit nuts what we're doing up here. Yeah. It's like not a lot, just like, this is a little bit kind of silly and you can still do that and be tremendously serious. You can have like really dramatic moments and still be kind of like, this is a little weird, but it's fine. Yeah. And it's, it's high emotions. It's yeah. It's good to see the, the best musicals to me, like are, are, are a celebration of that, of the, of the intensity of the emotion and the, and the sort of, you know, joy of it. And I feel that that's what I get watching your videos is this sense of like, this is nuts. Can you believe this was a show? And also, isn't this wonderful that this exists? <laughs> this existed yeah. even for like the briefest of moments. That this is a thing. Totally, totally. Yeah. There's, as I said, I'm obsessed with Marvel. There's a an Ant Man gives his daughter this horrible little bunny with you know gnarled mm-hmm. teeth and and she's like, it's so ugly. I love it. <laughs> and I feel like that's how I am with a lot of these musicals. It's like, oh my god, it's so crazy. I love it. <laughs> Well, and Drat the Cat is an excellent example. Yeah. <laughs> I think of just how bananas. Really that Minnie's Boys is another one that I really oh, was like, Minnie's this Boys. is just so kooky and. Oh, man. And uh, it's, it's such a ball. I'm, you know, I'm glad people get to experience the shows at least nominally through. Yes. my little videos. I would recommend if if you're if you're not willing to dip into one of the longer ones starting with the outrageous publicity stunts of David Merrick, that was the first one I found of yours and I've been a subscriber nice. ever since. It is a like it's a joy of of an episode. Oops. Uh but Mark, I have to ask as we wind down here a little bit, what is your favorite song in Dread the Cat? My favorite song in Dread the Cat. Oh, that's such a hard question. You know, uh I don't know that it's my favorite, but there's a, a the phrase I think I put the, the section I put in my video of Holmes and Watson. Sherlock Holmes has Dr. Watson. Watson trots in back of Holmes. All the plots that Holmes finds knots in Watson jots in tomes. Cause it takes one to do the heavy brain work. One to do the more mundane work. One to say it's elementary. One to say amazing. That I mean, that's just fun <laughs> craziness to me. Yeah, I don't know. They're all they're all so much fun. I say wild and reckless. It's so weird and it really and is. The, the callbacks are so much fun with the cigarette smoking and yes. Second you know, she takes week. a big puff of a cigarette, which is supposed to be a you know a bad thing for a girl to do, and then right. When Bob reprises it later in the show, he takes a puff of cigarette and, of course, hacks and coughs. Right, says, I don't smoke. He's a good boy. So the the channel is Broadway by Ghostlight. Broadway by Ghostlight. You can find it there. Uh, and you should subscribe. You should, as they say, smash that subscribe button. And, yes, uh, all of the things that YouTubers that are constantly begging you to do. Yes, Hit that do. notification bell. Yeah. My daughter says that sometimes. And so the Broadway by Ghostlight's the channel. We can, people could can follow you at Bway Ghostlight on Twitter, which I recommend. Yes, guys, come along, take the polls, vote like yeah, I we do. do fun. We're doing the Grammys right now for best uh, best cast album. And, and I need I need my audience out there to do this because people are not voting for the best album. 
They're not doing it. And it's I know, and I try to remind people every once in a while that I want to be annoying about it. Well, so today's yeah. today as we're recording, today's was Sweeney Todd, the, the 1980, and that was what are you going to do? That is, like, and I voted for Sweeney Todd in that poll because that's what it's going to be. But like, there was one that came up. It was the I, Follies oh, year, it was right? The Follies one, absolutely. Yeah, I was really actually that got more interaction, and people knew what I was talking about more than I thought. Um, but. Uh, I mean, Follies is is a, a objectively one of the best musical musicals ever written. And the original Broadway cast of Follies is a crime against humanity. So, like, yeah. I don't – like, you can't just vote for Follies. Right? It's, yeah. it's objectively not a, as good of an album as those other choices were. It's, it's fun to – you know, I'm finding more uh, – the longer I do it, the more – that there are more people out there talking about musical theater in all kinds of different ways. And I am super excited that uh, – we all get to meet each other and talk to each other in this sort of yeah so much this was fun. so much fun thank you so much mark thank you i don't want their diamonds i don't need their diamonds let them keep their diamonds i'll get my own ah. wild and reckless power to spare Say I'm evil I don't care Watch me smoke my cigarette Wild and reckless On the town And the town on the run Ask me why the displays Of unladylike ways And I answer it's fun The original cast is produced and edited By me, Patrick Flynn Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for t-shirts, tote bags, magnets, and more. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Mark Manani for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn. And I can't. I have a person. Wild and reckless on the town, raising H E L L. Come and see my next scene. One o'clock, Pier 14. And remember, don't tell. <laughs>